and welcome back to Witchfix. I'm Sarah and I'm really sorry if you can hear the grisly grisly rain that is coming down outside but I've been waiting for it to end since I woke up this morning and it's just continuing always and forever to be the beginning of an English autumn so it's pretty much inescapable and I'm sorry. Anyway so today I'm going to be looking at Circle of Three book five by Isabel Bird which is called In the Dreaming and I said in I think my review of maybe book three book four that Circle of Three book five is where I stopped reading the series um I couldn't remember why and that I hadn't read any of the other ten books that follow on from this one and I just wanted to say that I've just read this one and I fully remember why past Sarah stopped reading this series and if I was her, then I would do so again. Unfortunately, having begun this journey into the works of the fictitious Isabel Bird, I don't want to give up on book five, but let me tell you, it was a close run thing. I'm not saying that the book is badly written. It's written in exactly the same way as the preceding four books, which is in an accessible, young adult, teen friendly style. There's very little wrong with it in terms of how it's plotted or how it's put together and how it's written that part is just generally sound it was just the overall plot that i had some issues with circle of three book five is in the dreaming and it takes place at midsummer's eve kate annie and cooper who are the main characters of the series so far are going to a midsummer's eve festival being put on by the local coven that they are involved with on the periphery as they do their training and they go into the woods to be greeted by those people from the coven and then the people of the fairy world are invoked to bring mischief and joy to the woods on this midsummer's eve and they're told to gather when they hear the band playing for the actual party part of the event and otherwise to just wander in the woods and encounter whatever they will encounter the girls break up right at the beginning of the book. Um, they're all dressed as different things. So Kate is dressed predictably as a fairy princess. Cooper is a wood nymph with a flute. And Annie, bless her, has come as a hedgehog. She's made uh, a mask with all these quills on it. And she has little furry gloves, which she's unfortunately left at the cabin that they are staying in. So she goes back to get her gloves. Kate runs off to find her boyfriend, Tyler. And Cooper spends a minute torn between the two of them before hearing some music from in the woods and going to investigate where it's coming from. So for the majority of the book, the girls are not interacting with each other at all, um, which I don't really like because I like their relationships, the interplay of all three of them. And I feel like separating them just made for a, a lot more of an introspective narrative in the basically all they're doing is thinking to themselves about things although they do interact with some of the people that they meet this is going to be quite spoilery because i'm going to be discussing some of the things that happen in the book so we go through the girls chapter by chapter so it goes kate cooper annie kate cooper annie and every time it cuts back to kate you feel very much further from the end of the book because we're now covering the same time period over again. If you like, the, the narrative keeps going back on itself. Kate's journey in the Midsummer Woods is probably the least interesting. Uh, basically, she meets the Fairy Queen. She's pursuing a man who she thinks is Tyler, who's wearing a raven mask. And she meets the Fairy Queen, uh, who asks her what she wants most. And Kate answers, true love. The Queen then says that she'll have to find the person that 
she loves most and that she will be tested basically so then Kate stumbles off into the woods and she comes across Scott who was her first boyfriend in book one who doesn't know anything about Wicca and who she broke up with only to kiss him again in the previous book what the cards said so there's a little bit of confusion going on there so she has various interactions with Scott and then meets up with Tyler again all the while asking herself who she's meant to be with she finally comes back to the fairy queen who asks her to make a choice and she chooses Tyler uh, which is quite predictable because that's the guy she's already dating and then at the end she obviously goes to the party and she meets up with Tyler and she tells him that she loves him for the first time like I said not particularly interesting I feel like Kate's been through this emotional journey a number of times already when she broke up with Scott and picked Tyler which was I think in book two and then when she kissed Scott in book four it's basically just rehashing stuff that she's already gone through and maybe it could have been a bit more interesting for her although I get that they're trying to explore the the sort of fairy lore of lovers in the woods sort of like Midsummer Night's Dream. Cooper's journey is a little bit more interesting but at the same time not a huge amount happens she doesn't meet and talk to as many people it's mainly the same two people spider and bird who she meets so she follows the music into the woods she meets this girl called bird who's playing a flute bird invites her to come and play with some people that she knows and cooper is introduced to them and they all kind of look like they're also dressed as wood nymphs except they're dressed in like real leaves and bark and and things like that and they say that to play with them she needs to go through a test she goes into a, a cave with spider who's the leader of the group he lights a fire and sprinkles some magic powder on it and then she leaves the cave in a sort of vision quest model uh, meets this wild man who's dressed in all mud and leaves and sticks and basically she's asked to cover herself in mud and she then realizes that spider and his group are playing the wild hunt they are pretending that they are the dogs and spider is hern the hunter and they are pursuing a boar who in this case is cooper and bird explains that if they catch cooper you know bad things will happen and that if cooper manages to elude them she's allowed to join their group cooper spends some time running around in the woods and then is told that she has to go and reclaim the flute that she put down at the beginning of all this in order to end the hunt and win she then goes back she dives into a pool she finds her flute reclaims it and then spider says that she can be a member of the hunt she says that she doesn't want to she's quite freaked out by this whole experience of being hunted through the woods you know as you would be and then spider turns nasty and she has to escape with the help of bird uh, she then goes off to rejoin the party and she has not had a very positive experience and she's very um annoyed about everything that's happened and confused and upset because she's told that bird who's the person who got her involved in this essential this hunt and chase through the woods is the last person who joined spider's group and is apparently the only human the rest are fey creatures and fairies and that bird kind of betrayed her but also that bird has now been left behind because cooper didn't want to take her place i wasn't wild about that story i felt like it was moving quite slowly there wasn't a huge amount of interaction with the other characters a lot of it was just cooper running around doing hunt chase things i appreciated that the wild hunt 
was mentioned and a little bit explained but there was a huge amount of detail about that my favorite storyline in the book if you can call it my favorite i mean i didn't i thought all of them moved quite slowly to be honest but my favorite subject uh, was annie's story annie in going back to find her gloves is given a letter by a fox or a man dressed as a fox that she needs to deliver to the oak king and it's his summons to the battle with his brother the holly king which is a myth that we're probably all familiar with as pagans or wiccans that at the solstices of midsummer and yule the oak and holly king battle to see who will rule for the next half of the year and midsummer is obviously the point in which the oak king is defeated by the holly king and we descend into winter at which point they will battle again and then the oak king will emerge victorious and lead us into summer I really like that myth. It's one that uh, I think about quite a lot. It's probably the, the main way in which I relate to the god in my practice. And I enjoyed that Annie got to actually meet the Oak and Holly Kings and their courtiers. And also that we got to delve a bit into Annie's character because she, from the moment that she meets the Oak King, sees him as a father figure. And obviously when he dies, uh, when he they have this big party he goes into the battle and dies and then the party continues now with the holly king at its, at its head and he reacts quite strongly to this because she's been reminded of her parents deaths and it's basically her confronting that while wicker is about a lot of positive light things like nature and purity and growth there are dark elements to it not necessarily that they're evil or negative but that nature has a dark side which is hunter animals it's death and decay as part of the natural order and she basically confronts that confronts some of her feelings about her parents death and i just felt that that was probably the best storyline in this book because i enjoyed it the most it also gave me some ideas because um when the oak king loses and dies they put him on a sort of buyer and they take him to this little room which is down a sort of stone spiral staircase in a little hut and they lay him out with attendants to watch over him as he sleeps and he's decorated with flowers and things and I thought it would be a nice idea to do something similar as part of rituals for Yule and Midsummer so maybe have a, a box decorated like a sort of coffin or a, like one of those stone vaults that they put um, bodies into and you could have figures of kings and you could put them in the decorated coffin and have a sort of mini funeral for them whilst also celebrating the coronation if you like of of the king who's taking over for the next six months and I just thought that would be quite a nice idea and I'm currently looking about online for boxes and other sort of coffin shaped boxes that I could use but also kings I'm having some trouble finding king figurines because when I put that into eBay I just get a load of Lion King toys come up. Not that you couldn't use Lion King toys but I don't particularly want to. So at the moment I'm looking at nativity sets because they obviously have the three kings that come with them and they'd be just about the right size. I, I like that and that story is probably the only one that inspired me to try and think of something new to do in my own practice which is what I like these books for. I think overall the reason I stopped reading after this one is that in the third and fourth books there is this leap out of magical realism into fantasy magic in book three especially because Cooper starts having visions of this murdered girl and visions of the goddess Pele. 
in book four it takes kind of a step back from that there's more it's open to interpretation whether Annie is just talking to an old lady on a bus or if she's actually talking to Hecate this one then takes a massive dive back into that fantasy magic because they're wandering the woods and they're speaking to actual fairies the actual fairy queens no attempt is made to say that these people are actually members of the coven dressed up Kate initially thinks that the fairy queen is going to be Tyler's mum who's like the high priestess but when she meets her she's like oh I've never seen this woman before who is she similarly with Spider and his group and Annie and the kings she thinks that it's not real um, she doesn't actually see the king the oak king get stabbed his robe is ripped but there's no blood or anything and he does wake up and talk to her but again it's not seen as being an act put on by the coven it's very much addressed as if it's real although i suppose annie's more of a logical character so she continues to believe that what she's seeing is a play for most of it and that might be also connected to why hers is my favorite story because with Cooper's and Kate's experiences, they're very much rooted in these are actual fairies that I'm talking to. Whereas Annie's is more taking a realistic look at it. It also annoyed me a bit because at the end, when Kate has to choose between Scott and Tyler, which she's already done a number of times, Scott is there in the in like the fairy court. They've brought him there to see her and I feel like if he doesn't have some serious questions for her in book six, then I'm going to be even more annoyed because he was there and surrounded by all these like weird fairy characters who were talking about her finding her beloved and going on this special journey. And I feel like at this point, it definitely should strike home to him that she's interested in, if not wicker, then at least something a little bit peculiar. You know, he's starting to read a bit like Harvey Kinkle from Sabrina, the, the original TV series. Um, in that he's just willfully ignorant of what's going on around him. So that annoyed me. The book itself ends on a cliffhanger because after these midsummer experiences, the girls get together at the coven party and share what's happened to them. Although they don't really go into a lot of detail. They don't explain it as if it were fairies that they're talking to. It seems like we've gone back into realism for the end, which is it's just quite uneven tonally but they they share their experiences and cooper says that she doesn't think she wants to be part of the circle or part of wicker anymore because of the negative experience that she's had that evening and that was the last book i read it ends on a cliffhanger i mean at the end of each book is a little snippet from the next book but i haven't bothered to read that in any of them because I don't really like to taste part of the next book if I'm not immediately going to sit down and read the whole thing. And I do read other books in between these ones. So I guess we'll see in book six if they talk Coop around. I guess they do because she's one of the main characters and there's ten more books. So it's not particularly a wash in danger. For the reading, I'm taking from Annie's experiences with the Oak and Holly King because, as I said, those are my favourite ones. There are various poems and chants and things that are said at the party that she goes to for the Oak King. And I thought these were really good and really well written and they could be taken and used in rituals for Midsummer or recited with some small changes at Yule. And I really like when pagan fiction gives you something that you can use in your everyday practice. So the first reading is her watching a little play that's going on and a man is about to walk out on stage and say that he is a winter. 
A man walked into the centre of the clearing. He was dressed in white and green, and when he appeared, everyone began to boo loudly. Annie wondered why they didn't like the man, but then she realised that they were just pretending to dislike him. It was like the hissing people did when a villain appeared on stage. The man stood, tapping his foot impatiently until the noise died down. I am Winter, he said pompously, bringing more booze from the audience. I am Winter, he said again, more loudly than the first time, and this is my poem. He cleared his throat and recited. As the year begins to wither and the sun burns out his days, I, the Holly King, grow stronger and await my time to reign. On Midsummer Eve I come to best my brother in fair fight. Soon the wood will wear my mantle, cold as ice and snowy white. Are you ready, my dear brother? Will you join me on the field? We all know how it will end, that to my mighty sword you'll yield. The man stopped in the clearing field with more boos and hisses. The speaker seemed to be waiting for something, looking haughtily at the spectators. Then someone else ran into the clearing. It was a man dressed all in bright yellow and orange. Long triangles of different warm colours spoked out from his back, and he resembled a huge shining sun. When the man in green saw him, he jumped back as if frightened. The yellow man stopped in front of him and pointed a finger at him as he began to recite his own poem. Fight I will, O frozen creature. Ice and snow I do not fear. While your time may soon be coming, I still have some hours here. On this field we will battle, and you may emerge the king. But in six months I'll return to end your frigid reign with spring. So do your best, my wintry brother. Swing your sword and take your aim. Your time too will soon be over and my light will shine again. And then there's some interactions and fighting, and then a woman emerges to say the final part of this performance, which is... Summer fades like dreams unwinding. Days grow shorter, nights grow long. Now the Oak King passes over, goes to sleep to be made strong. When the sun is born again, we'll greet him on the darkest night. Then he comes with blazing glory, bringing back the warmth and light. I really like that section. I, I think you could use those bits of reading in a ritual. It's also nice because it nicely encapsulates the myth and legend surrounding the Oak King and the Holly King, albeit in quite a simplistic way. But it is nice to have that introduced to the book series as part of the mythology because it's been quite goddess focused so far. And then at this point, um, this is when they come to retrieve the body of the Oak King. The six animals were carrying a long, flat object that looked like several thin saplings lashed together, with rope to form a crude sort of stretcher. They walked over to the Oak King and laid the thing on the ground. Then they lifted him onto it and arranged his hands over his chest. Throughout the whole thing, the man playing the Oak King never moved. He really did seem to be dead, which made Annie feel sadder than she knew she probably should. The animal-faced people lifted the Oak King, each one holding the stretcher at a different point, like pool-bearers at a funeral. As they carried him out of the clearing, they sang. Gone away, beloved King, sleep and dream while winter storms. With the goddess you are resting, cradled in her loving arms. The song was sung like a lullaby, the six voices gentle and soothing. And he could almost picture the Oak God being held by the goddess as a mother would hold a baby she was comforting. It made her feel better, and it also made her a little sad. Many times she'd fallen asleep in her own mother's arms after having a nightmare or a stomach ache. She missed that. So as I said, those 
sections are from my probably my favourite part of the book, which is Annie's storyline. I went online and looked at what people on Goodreads were saying about this book, and it seems to be quite positively received. A lot of people were saying that this was their favourite book in the series. Obviously, it's incredibly subjective. I think the more you like the fantasy elements, the more you will like the books going forward, and you probably wouldn't like the first two books because they are fairly realistic. Um, but if you're like me and you like reading about teenagers who are just pagan and who aren't real in inverted quote marks witches then you'll probably dislike them as you move forwards so that's something to bear in mind before you read the books i don't know if after this point there's sort of a segue back into realism because as i said i haven't read the other 10 books but i guess we'll see when we get to them i have books six and seven ready to go and i might well read them straight after this one because I'm looking for some short reads right now. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Remember you can get in touch via Twitter, which is at witchfix, and by email, which is witchfixpodcast at gmail.com. You can catch up with the podcast on Castbox and YouTube, and you can also subscribe to that YouTube channel. You can also donate to the Patreon, which will help me to buy the rest of the Circle of Three series. And you can also talk about us on Instagram or share any of your witchy pictures using the hashtag witchfixpodcast. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I'll see you in the next one. Bye!